0: Well, it's good to be in church on Monday night. Amen. Amen. I had a, a man ask me several months ago now what uh, what I thought we'd be doing in heaven most of the time while we were there. And uh, what I've learned, preacher, is that quite often when people come up and ask you that kind of question, they don't really know what you want to know what you think. They want to tell you what they think. And uh, And so he proceeded to give me his Theories about what we'd be doing in heaven all of the time. And I said, that, that's nice. But you know what I suspect? I suspect we're going to spend an awful lot of time on our face in front of the throne of God. Amazed that we're there and that he loved us. Amen. And we will just, we will praise him for ages and ages before anything else happens. Well, it's good to be in church tonight, and it'll be good to be here on Tuesday and Wednesday. I hope you've already made plans to do that, and uh, we are going to have a wonderful time together. Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh no, he said he was old as dirt and, and, and close to death and all the rest, and now he's lost his mind, and he doesn't know that's what he preached out of last night. But I've discovered that, you know, people love to hear the same songs over and over and over again. So I thought, why not preach the same sermon over and over and over? (laughs) No, we're going to pick up where we left off and go on from there. So if you found Philippians chapter 2 and you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? We'll start reading in verse number 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for another beautiful day that you gave to us today. Lord, thank you for another opportunity to be in your house tonight. And God, I pray again as we look into your word that you would meet meet each need represented here tonight. Lord, if there's somebody here who's never trusted Christ, I pray they would understand the urgency of their salvation and that they would get saved before it's too late. God, for each and every person, I pray that we would walk out of here thinking different and acting different than we did when we came in. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to you on this subject tonight from humility to exaltation, from humility to exaltation. Now here in Philippians chapter number two, last night we looked at verses one through four and saw the importance of unity. Now I, I have a a King James Bible, but it's an old Schofield reference Bible. And so, you know, there are little notes down here and there are little things in the middle and there's tape over here because I'm wearing out certain passages. But, uh, you know, there are little headings sometimes in the chapters and different things. And if you have a, a study Bible of some sort, it doesn't really matter what it is, it probably has many of those same things. It has some references in the middle. It'll have some little things here and there. It'll have some notes at the bottom What you need to understand is that God didn't put those in there. Those are not inspired, they can be very helpful. The, especially the cross references and things like that it 's a wonderful help and Thank God for everybody who has uh, done those kind of things over the years uh, in different study bibles and and that 's wonderful and that 's a blessing. But when they break up the chapters and you know they give a heading to this part and a heading to that part, sometimes we mistakenly think that because there's a break in there and they've written some words in there, after after chapter, after verse number four, in my Bible it says, number two, the sevenfold self-humbling of Christ. It almost leads you to think that now we're taking on a whole new subject matter and going another direction. What I want you to know tonight is that's not true. Where we started reading in verse number five really is in light of verses one, two, three, and four. Remember, he said there in verse number two, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. And we talked about that last night and what all that means. But then when you get to verse number five, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now he's going to be very specific about what that one mind is, what it looks like, how it acts What it is, and it's the mind of Christ. Don't ever forget that our example in all things is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not the pastor, it's not the deacon, the Sunday school teacher, it's not some great hero of the past. Our example in all things is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been around a while, You've seen preachers that have disappointed you and and great heroes that turned out not to be so great and different things that have happened and, and they sometimes let you down. The Lord Jesus Christ will never do that. And if you make him the example, then you can go on no matter what anybody else does and you won't be devastated, amen? If all of your attention is focused on a person and they fail, that can be devastating. But Jesus Christ will never do that. And he is our example in everything as well as having the mind that we ought to have. And so it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. First of all, we see the mind of Christ. He was in the form of God. Now, uh, tonight I'm going to give you some some very foundational and very important theological truth. And I'm going to make it as easy to grasp and as palatable as I possibly can. And so when it says he was in the form of God and thought it not robbery to be equal with God, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ before he's born in the manger of Mary. All right? Now, what you need to understand is this. He always was and always will be. He never ceased to be. He always was. When he came into this world, he did not cease to be God. And he was always in existence before he came into this world. Always was. That's why it's talking about this, who says he was in the form of God. If it helps you to think about it this way, you can think about it as the appearance of God, if you'd like. But you see, here's another great theological truth. We have one God manifest in three persons. We refer to that as the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are... All God, and they are one God. They are what we call co-equal. Now, there are lots of lots of examples of the Trinity uh, of things made up of three parts that make one thing. However, they all fall apart somewhere when you use them as an example. An egg is the classic example, it's got a shell. It's got an egg white, it's got a yolk in the middle. If you have all three things together, you have a complete egg, right? That's what you've got. The problem is, the parts are not equal. Nobody wants an eggshell omelet. I mean, that's just the holder, and, and thank God for it, because you don't want to just hold a, an egg white and an egg yolk in your hand either. Uh, but that part is not equal. And that's not the way our God is. Although he's manifest in three persons, three distinct persons, they're equal. And so it's, a, it's an amazing thought that before Jesus Christ, God's son, took human form in the manger, he was already in existence throughout eternity past. We find Jesus in his earthly ministry referring to that time before he came into this world. In John chapter 17, verse number five, uh, John chapter 17 is Jesus, God the Son, praying to God the Father. You know, we talk about the Lord's prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not really Jesus praying. That's when the disciples said, Teach us how to pray, and he gave them that example. You want to find Jesus really praying, go to John chapter 17. And here's what he says in John chapter 17, verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. You know what he's referring to? That time before he ever was born on this earth, he was already there, pre existent with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit, in eternity past. John chapter 8, verse number 58. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Again, he's referencing that time long before his physical earthly birth where he was already preexistent with God the Father in heaven. So we see the mind of Christ who was in the form of God but then was made in the likeness of God. Of men. Look at verse number seven. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So here he is in heaven, always eternally pre-existent, and then he took on the form of mankind. Notice he did it voluntarily. He took it on. Nobody forced him to do that. Uh, Nobody caused that to happen. He did that himself voluntarily. And he took on not just the form of mankind, but he took on the form of a servant, the lowest form of mankind. Can you imagine going from unquestioned power and authority to becoming a servant and a little baby in a manger that has to be taken care of? What What a trade that is. And yet that's what Jesus Christ did for us. And he came in the form of a servant. Not a king, not a ruler, not an important person in the area, just a servant. Now, listen close. to what I'm about to say. When he did that, he did not cease to be God. He didn't cease to be God at all. He simply voluntarily put away the outward appearance of God and took on human flesh. Now, whenever he desired, he could could take any of the attributes of God that he'd always had and use them. It's what we call miracles. Whenever Jesus healed somebody, he was just doing something that he could always do because he was God. When Jesus walked on the water, he was just doing something. The the disciples were amazed when Jesus walked on the water. But for Jesus, it honestly was not a big deal because that was something he could do at any moment. He created the water. He could walk on the water. When he turned water to wine, everybody was all excited. That was something that he could do always, and it never changed. It's just that in his human form, he didn't do all of those things every day. He set those things aside for the time being. The miracles, the prophecy, the foreknowledge, his own resurrection, the resurrection of Lazarus. Listen, those were, those were things that were amazing to people, but he was God. And he could always do those things. And so he set those things temporarily aside in human form. But he did not cease to be God in any manner at all. He could always use those things at any time. It says in verse number 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Here we see the humility of Christ. Now remember... He's our example. It's in light of verses 1 through 4 where he says esteem others better than yourself and look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others. Jesus did not come into this world to look on his own things. He came into this world to take on the sins of the whole world and provide redemption for others. What a wonderful Savior. Amen. He is our example. And in verse number 8, we see the humility of Christ. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, the opposite of humility is pride. Would you agree with me that if, that if anybody down through history ever at any time has had an excuse legitimately to be proud, it would be God in the flesh. I mean, if, if there ever was one with a legitimate reason to be proud, it would be Jesus Christ. And yet there was none of that in his life. There was none of that. And he is our example. Can you imagine what would happen to one of us if we could do just a fraction of the things that Jesus could do? Brother, can you imagine if you could walk on water? Now, you know him. You know what would happen if he could walk on water? He would be praying for rain, would he not? And as soon as a puddle formed out here, he'd be be running across that water, and next thing you know, he'd be selling tickets and go down to the lake, and he'd be out there in the middle, and then he'd charge you to have him carry you across. You know what he would do, amen? And his head would swell up, and he'd be all proud. He'd say, look at me, I can walk on water. Jesus could do that any day. And he never one time said, look what I can do. Not once. Never even entered the picture at all. He just did it. It was the most natural thing in the world. He just did it and he said to the disciples, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, I'm here. You see, he had every excuse, every reason in the world that he could have been proud and yet he was not. He displayed humility. He was in submission to the Father. It says in verse number 8, he humbled himself. In John chapter 5, verse number 30, he said, I can of mine own self do nothing as as I hear I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Really, it's an amazing moment because Jesus Christ, God the Son, is saying I'm submitting myself to the will of God the Father. Now, as our example... If the Lord Jesus Christ submits himself to the will of God the Father, isn't it a little bit ludicrous when we look at God and say, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Oh, I know what you want me to do, but I'm not going to do that, and I want to do something else. Listen, if God the Son submitted himself to God the Father, he, as our example, showed us what we're supposed to do, and we are to submit ourselves to the father not only was he in submission to the father he was in submission to god's eternal purpose look again at verse 8 and being found in fashion as a man he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross you see in his in his submission to god he's not just in submission as far as day to day living but he's in submission to god concerning god's eternal purpose which is the redemption of mankind he became obedient unto death even the death of the cross now i'm going to tell you more than i can accurately explain to you tonight i told you we have one god and he's manifest in three persons god the father god the son god the holy spirit pre-existent in heaven in all of eternity And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse number 8, that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before we were ever here, God had already planned to sacrifice His Son for you and for me. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Not only that, over in Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began now that's an amazing verse right there that god promised eternal life before the world began and the lamb of god was slain from the foundation of the world god already had the whole program planned out and ready to go here's how i envision it happening way way back there in, in eternity past long before this world was ever here God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is, and I don't want to sound disrespectful or trite when I say this, he's talking to himself. He's he's talking to himself because he's in three persons. And by the way, there are instances of such a thing in the Word of God as well. And, And one day God the Father said, I'm going to make a world. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said, yes, that's good. And God the Father said, I'm going I'm to create people, mankind. I'm going to put them on that world. They're going to populate that world. And God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, yes, that's good. And he said, I'm, I'm going to love them and I'm going to provide for them because I want to have fellowship with them. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said, yes, that's good. God is always in agreement with himself. And then he said, and they're going to hate me. And they're going to pretend that I don't exist. And they're going to create false gods and worship those. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said, yes. And he said, because of that, because of their sin, we'll be separated and I won't be able to have fellowship with them. And so, God the Son, you're going to go down and you're going to become one of them. And he said, yes, that's good. And you're going to live among them. And they're going to hate you. And they're going to kill you. And your sacrifice will be the payment for their sin so that one day I can have fellowship with them again. And God the Son, before this world was ever here, said, yes, that's good. And when he was born in that manger, he was already in submission to God's eternal purpose. It was not a plan B. It was not a second option. It was what God had planned before we were ever here. Now, that's an amazing thought. If I were the God of heaven and I was going to create a world populated with people that I knew were going to turn against me, I probably wouldn't create them at the beginning. And if I did, I would probably only create them long enough so that they could get there on that world and turn against me and then I would just squash them. That's what I would do. And that's not what God did. Knowing already what we would do, he planned for our redemption, and that's why Jesus Christ came into this world for you, for me. So that by the time we got here in the day in which we live, the sacrifice was already made, and all we had to do was accept what God already did for us. Isn't that amazing? already planned before the world ever was. God had already promised eternal life would be provided and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ